it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Edmonton Oilers with just two games left in the regular season. Here's what we know. The Oilers will have home ice advantage in the first round of the playoffs. They still have a shot at finishing with the best record, not just in the Pacific Division, but in the Western Conference. Don't control their own destiny there. Vegas, 80 games played, 107 points. Oilers, 80 games played, 105 points. But regardless of where they finish, the Oilers on a tear here heading into the postseason. They've won seven straight after taking down San Jose on Saturday. Connor McDavid getting to 151 points. Next up for the Oilers at the Colorado. Colorado Avalanche tomorrow night, 6 o'clock face-off show here on 6.30 Shed. The game will start at 7.30. The Avalanche doing great lately. They've currently won five in a row. They have 104 points, just one less than your Edmonton Oilers. Now, the uh, Oilers skating today in Denver and... Derek Ryan announcing, or, the, or rather the Edmonton chapter of the Professional Hockey Writers Association, announcing that Derek Ryan, the Oilers nominee for the Bill Masterton Memorial Trophy, this is given out uh, annually to the NHL player who best exemplifies the qualities of perseverance, sportsmanship, and dedication to hockey. Ryan, at the age of 36, certainly has uh, shown all those qualities throughout his career. Now at the age of 36, having a pretty good season with 13 goals. A lot of you watched him much earlier in his career when he played in Edmonton as a member of the U of A Golden Bears and then went over to Europe and Maybe he was thinking he'd never play in the NHL, but he's now carved out a pretty nice career for himself, and he talked about sticking with the game and being a pretty good NHLer. Well, I think my journey to the NHL is the epitome of that, I guess. I think it's a motivational story for a lot of people, especially young kids. Um, you know, I was told I was too small, wasn't good enough in my draft year, uh, overlooked, went to the U of A, kind of way off the radar at that point. Got a job in Europe and just continued to grow my game. I wasn't worried about making it to the NHL. I wasn't worried about making it big. I was just worried about making small progress progress year after year getting better and building my game and you know slowly but surely I, I did that in Austria and then Sweden and then the American Hockey League and then the NHL just just stuck with it um, obviously hard a lot of hard work in there a lot of luck too uh, a lot of blessings and um, so it's a great story of perseverance and uh, very fortunate to be where I am right now. When you were at U of A was the NHL even on your radar or were you thinking about getting a career in a job? It wasn't even close to my radar it was yeah I wanted 
rather be a pharmacist and maybe uh, if I go to Europe and have a decent career over there, that'd be great too. And honestly, once I was even in Europe, it was, okay, great, I've carved out a great career over here. I'm making great money or having a great life. My son was born in Austria, living a cool life over there. Why would I come back and try and make it in the NHL? So it was just kind of a, a stepping stone. Each each step of the way, I was getting closer to the NHL, but I never had that, that lofty goal, you know, something that I was clawing at. I was just looking at the next step that was in front of me. So, yeah. Last one for me. Uh, your wife. Yeah. It's a hell of a ride for her. What did she say when you said, you know, maybe I'm going to go back and I got a call from Carolina and I got a shot here? What was the family discussion around that? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, she's a saint, first of all, for putting up with all the, the travels and journey that we've had. Um, but like I said, I was happy with the job that I had in Europe. I was carving out quite a career over there and, and I didn't want to come back. And she was one of the main people in my life that said, no, Derek, this is your chance to make it in the NHL, you know, if it's now or never. So it was basically her and my agent saying that to me. And um, obviously, you fast forward to now, it's pretty crazy to look at, uh, you know, wanting to turn that down and, and see where I am now. So pretty fortunate to have a wife that uh, steered me correctly and uh, supported me the whole way. And um, yeah, if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be here. Okay, a little bit there from Derek Ryan. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Hope you've had a great Easter weekend. This is a best of edition of the show here as we will uh, recap some of our favorite interviews from the last few weeks. When we get back, fighting against the big bad Bruins. Subscribe to the Inside Sports Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. This is 630 Chad Inside Sports. John Rom winning the Masters yesterday. Always enjoy watching the final round of that tournament. How about Phil Mickelson, 52 years of age, 65 in the final round, tied for second place. Man, oh man, lefty just will not go away. Pretty amazing career for him. Reed Wilkins with you. Hope you've had a great Easter weekend. Best of Inside Sports tonight on 630 Ched. Luke Gazdick, he's joined the show as a regular this hockey season. He can always weave a tail or two. And I was talking to him about playing in Boston and against the Big Brad Bruins. Boston's cool, man. Um, my first game there, I um, my rookie year in Edmonton, well, it starts off. Do you remember that ramp? Did you have, do you guys have to go up that that ramp that we take with the bus at TD? That is like I've wow. never I've never been in that building. Oh, okay. as you it know, is, I, like, I, I'm not traveling, yeah. so I've only it, been to the buildings of the drafts. Yeah, it is freaking crazy. It's hard to explain. You take this ramp up on the bus, and it's literally wide enough just for a bus, and we have to reverse. We have to reverse to go down it. It's it's insane. But honestly, I talked about this on Sports Night last night. We were talking about Boston a lot. Um, the hostility in that building is the real deal. Like I, I mean, you walk in and their visitor and dressing room in the facilities has to be. This isn't a bad thing, but it is one of the worst in the league in terms of like space. Like guys are on chairs and it's very, very tightly packed in and you're right behind the bench and like right under the seats. So you can like hear the fans like basically on top of you. If you left the door open, like you can hear the fans piling in. And like when you walk out of the room, you're right at the bench, which usually there's a bit of a walk for most teams, but you're like right there. And I just remember like, 
I stepped out on the ice and I was like terrified. So it's just a different vibe. Like all the seats are black and yellow. Everyone wears like like some sort of apparel there, like jerseys or whatever. They're they're loud. They're everyone's in their seats and like ready to go at, like during warm up. And then like I'm looking across and it's like they're wearing their blacks and it's like Chara, McQuaid, um, Luch, Aginla, Sean Thornton, and I'm like, holy man, like I am in one here. I was so nervous. I literally this yeah, I literally went out first shift. I found Sean Thornton and I was like, Hey, we gotta go. And he's like, Right away? And I'm like, Yep, yeah, let's go, let's just do it. Threw the gloves off and I caught he switched to his left and I caught him with a quick one and he just dropped like right in front of our bench. And I just remember being in the box and like, I could just breathe after that. I was like, all right, okay, you're all right now. Just relax, bud. But it's um, it's one of my favorite places to play. It was one of my favorite places to play. Um, another cool thing about playing there is they do a lot of matinees. So we played at one o'clock and I've talked about this before. I love afternoon games and like midday games. There's just less, I don't want to say less preparation, but less waiting. So for me, a guy that was very nervous before games, less time to sit and think about it. So Boston's a cool, cool place, man, but super hostile environment. Yeah, well, it's it sounds like, and I talked about this last week, if you were to ask me what team in the NHL truly has an identity, and I know we throw that word around maybe too much sometimes when talking about pro sports, but to me with Boston, they have an identity. I mean, they're, they're good, but they're they're going to play whatever word you want to use. They're going to play rugged. They're going to play nasty if they have to. And I guess that's that's the attitude of the fans as well, right? Like it's 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 like a team matches the attitude of the fan base maybe perfectly. I know it's almost like they've kind of embraced that persona. They're kind of the villains, you know. You know what I mean? And uh, their team just top to bottom. You talk about identity. Their identity for me is just consistency. Like you know. 95% of the games they play, what team is going to come at you? You can watch video, you can do whatever you want, but you know they have four lines that can play against, their fourth line can play against any top line in the league. Uh, their defense with bringing in Orlov, and then you have the best goalie tandem in hockey, right? Like, Allmark's locked up the Vesna. It's just like, they're so consistent every night. There's a reason they only lost eight freaking games all year. Well coached. You know, I read a great little tweet today. It said Jim Montgomery tries to... Um, you know, talk to his players about the mental side, make sure everyone's good. And he had gone up to a player and said, you know, hey, I, you know, I heard something going on. Like, are you okay? And he said, oh, don't worry. Patrice already talked to me. So I think that's so cool that, like, Patrice is that captain that embraces that. And, you know, the listeners know and you know I'm still best friends with Taylor Hall. And every time I talk to him, he's just like, man, this is awesome. It's like nowhere I've ever played before. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, uh, we're not going to see him tomorrow. But yeah, I mean that's that's. I mean, and but Brownie and I talked about that last week. I mean, Taylor Hall's on their second line. I know he didn't play, but he's usually basically yeah. on the on the second line. He's he's won a heart trophy. I know, and I even looked at their like projected roster when him and Felino come back in. They had him on the third line left right. wing. They were just, and then they slotted. And you got to take. Trent Frederick came out of that lineup to put those two guys in. So they were saying, oh, you know, no six, you know, Frederick. I'm like, 
man, I would take any of those guys on my team and play them every night. Like they're they're gonna have to bump out like a really good everyday player to fit Halsey back in, which is crazy to think. Yeah. All right. So I, I want us to circle back to that Thornton fight and also another fight you had against the Boston Bruin. So I, I watched the, the fight, the, the Thornton fight, and I also watched the other fight that we'll get to in a couple minutes. You know, it was a quick one against Thornton. Like the, the TV feed, by the time they cut to it, it was it was almost over. So, be, but because you challenged him early in the game, did he say, "Look, that's crap, man. We got to do that again," or was was he fine with it? Like that that was it. Great question. I was going to tell you that the next time he had to go off for repairs. Um, I, I split like the top of his um, lip open in between his nose and his lip. I, like, you know, I had a big gash there. And so I, he comes out, he's all stitched up and he lines up beside me. And I'm just like, all right, here we go. Round two, like just getting ready for it. And he just goes, heck big boy. I shouldn't switch. Shouldn't switch to my left. Eh? <laughs> and I just remember laughing. I was like, Oh, that's awesome. Like just a guy that just, he, he lost the fight and he was just like, heck, you know, like it, that's that's the way it goes, you know. So maybe he didn't want a round two with me. Um, certainly validating that, you know, I, I fought one of the toughest guys in, in pro hockey and then did well. So he's a funny guy, man. That, that that was a good experience, memory for me. All right. And that same season, this is the 13-14 season. And, and I'm sure people know about hockey fights. You can watch all the fights, see all of Luke's fights. He was at Rexall Place. You fought Luch. There's Luch. Rewatching it, you know, nine years after seeing it live, I was like, "Oh man, I'm getting tired." Like, and and you guys each took a couple of big shots in that one and kept going, like straight to the face, and you guys kept going. Oh yeah, I'll walk you through this one. So we had just gone down, I believe, three one. It was two one. We had gone down three one, and they sent over Krejci in the middle of Aginla and Lucic with with like Krug and uh, Chara on the point. And I'm just like, oh boy, here we go. And then I get the, not the tap, but Dally, Dallas Eakins goes, you know, Luke, guys, your line's going. And I kind of turned around and looked at him and I'm like, okay, he wants some action here. He doesn't want to tell me, but he wants some action. So I lined up against the Gila and I put my stick over top of his and he moved it over, put his back on top of mine. And we did that like three times. He backs out, he goes, seriously, kid? And I'm just like, I'm like, I'm just trying to get things going here. He goes, man, go ask Luch, go ask Z, get away from me. I'm like, okay. I got like pictures on this guy on my wall when I was a kid. I'm like, okay. So I just, I told myself, I'm like, I'm just going to play this shift out and wherever the puck lands, I'm going. And I ended up on Luch and he wouldn't go. I called him, you can see in the video, I called him a couple choice words that he was not happy about. Dropped his gloves before I knew it. I was like, holy, like, 
he was throwing shots and I remember we were right in front of the bench and he had reached over, grabbed the back of my Bauer helmet and threw it down the ice. And I was just like, Oh boy, I am, I'm hooked here. Like, like just relax here. And, and then he came right back with a body shot and I just went oh, like, couldn't breathe. But I just like told myself, I'm like, wait, just wait. I've watched him bite before. This was like, a thing that I did really well is I knew a lot about guys that I fought. And I'm like, you know, if I can make it 30, 40 seconds here, I'm going to get a couple shots at the end. And it happened just like that. He kind of, he kind of gave me an opening. And I, I did my classic, baited him with an uppercut. And then I hit him on the over and the crowd went nuts. And I'm like, you know what? Let's try that again. Uppercut. And I, he's hit, I looked up and his face was straight up. And I hit him, Reed, as hard as I can punch a human being. Like, that was the hardest right hand I could throw. And his face shoots back, and I'm like, oh, my God, I just knocked out Luch. And then he kind of just shakes it off and starts fighting again. I'm like, oh, no, where are the refs? I'm like, Liney's now? Come on, let's go. Uh, and I just remember skating in the box and, like, Ference and, like, I remember Matty Fraser was like, they were both just like, holy, man, what a scrap. So anyone that hasn't seen that, I go back and watch that every now and then. It's, yeah, got, like it's, a million, it's got like a million hits on YouTube. It's freaking crazy. It, it, it's it's a good one. And, and, yeah, you guys were really trading. Now, did he say anything after or was he actually mad? No, no, we didn't. I, I think it was just, I think, I mean, we ended up losing the game, but – uh off the top of my head, I don't remember anything towards okay. the end of the game. I think it was just two guys that got into good spirit and scrap, both respect for each other. And I remember, honestly, I'm going to pat, pat myself on the back here, but he told Fair after the game, he was like, that was the hardest I've been hit in a long time, man. Who is that kid? Fair's like, yeah, you got to watch out, big boy. So I was, I was a little pumped up after that. I was like, okay, let's take these talents to another, another team we play against here. And I just went on a streak. I just started fighting everybody in the league. That is Luke Gazdick. Pretty good stuff there. A couple of big fights he had against members of the Boston Bruins. It's been a pleasure to have Luke on the program. When do we get back, a local broadcaster and his fight against cancer. Sports with Reed Wilkins is brought to you by James H. Brown and Associates, Alberta Injury Lawyers, the heavy hitters of injury law. A lot of you will know the name Bryn Griffiths. Bryn, longtime uh, radio personality here in Edmonton, also spent some time working with the Edmonton Oilers in their media relations department. He's started a new podcast, which we're going to get to, but Bryn joined me for an extended in-studio appearance here on Inside Sports, and he uh, gave us a, a little recap of his early life and career. I mean, I grew up here, to tell you how far back I go, I listened to Halsey uh, as a young kid on a transistor radio that you know you would tune in and brian would be doing the football games from clark stadium i'd be sitting in the knothole gang at the south end of clark stadium with the transistor radio and the little earpiece and everything and i'd look up at that press box and go gee we'll 
You know, I just like, you know, you would see Halsey up there with Henry Singer and a bunch of people like that doing the broadcast. And I always thought it'd be kind of a fun career. And then to think that at some point I'd actually be working alongside him, I uh, would be able to call him a friend. Uh, I'm told that he, he finally, he, he's just like, what, what have you done with him? That's the big question. If you just, yeah, he's, you know, uh, is he gonna, is he's he still with all? us. He's, 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 he's working a little less, which I think he yeah. deserves, what but, is he, but, that he, mean? but he still wants. So, he's, I think he can just kind of show up and go on whenever he wants, but he doesn't yep. have to do it every day anymore. Absolutely, and he's earned that right. But anyway, so uh, my life started, I even listened to him. He was the first voice of the Oilers in the old Edmonton Gardens. The first year, yeah, yes. very first year. And then basically concentrated on hockey. So I, I go back to the Edmonton Gardens. I go back to the old Claire Drake Arena and Clark Stadium. So I grew up and I watched sports here as a kid and I always thought this might be kind of a fun gig. And it's been a great run for me. What was your neighborhood as a kid? Oh, man, I grew up uh, I, as a kid through to grade four. I grew up just off White Avenue at 109th Street, right across from the Tipton Arena. Where it was out, an outdoor arena, right? Right. I would go to sleep at night, and the lights were shining. It was like a, a Charlie Brown TV special, you know, with the lights shining, and they were skating around. And I'd hear the thump of the, of the hockey puck against the boards, and that's how I would fall asleep as a kid. Then I shifted and moved with uh, my sister and my parents down further south into a place called Malmo Plains, which uh, was a fun place to grow up as well. And, you know, and then I, I went to high school at Harry Ainley Coppice at high oh, school nice. with a, a guy named, I don't know if you've heard of John Sexsmith or not, but oh, I love uh, John. uh, Johnny and I uh, went to school and played on the same football team together. So I don't know. It's uh, it, it's home for me. It's always been home. But I've moved around. I spent time in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. Uh, I spent time in Winnipeg and I spent time in Calgary, and I, I loved all three locations as well, but this is home. Yeah. Well, we, it's great to have you, you in for sure. Um, okay, so Halsey inspired you. Who, who else? Well, Halsey, Rod Phillips, obviously, is another yeah. one of those guys. There are, I mean, there's, there are a lot of... Here's the favorite part for me. By the time I started to work my way in in the mid-90s, you get a chance to work alongside these people a lot. And one of the things that I learned was to just shut up and take a back seat and watch them do their thing and learn from them. You know, like Cam Cole was a great writer for the for the journal. And, uh, you know, Terry Jones, uh, Hall of Famer, uh, Jim Matheson. I'm trying to think. I know I'm going to be I'm going to I'm going to miss somebody. I know. But in the broadcasting area, well, Halsey, Halsey was the legend and still is. And mm-hmm. you, you learn things from those people. Brian always taught me one thing. He said, look, you, listen, to, you, listen to me here. You, you, you got the skill set. Now you just got to crank up the personality, you know? That's what you got to do. You listen yeah. to me? Yes. Are you listening to me? It comes so, more naturally for him than most people, uh, I think. Yeah. So, so <laughs> you know, you take advice from people like that and you watch. And we've always been a great media market here. Mm-hmm. And uh, right from television people, I mean, it's. Uh, it was just, it was a pleasure. You, you do the school thing, and then you really do the school thing when you get out and into the business, and you learn from people like that. So uh, I, I got so much time for all those guys. Yeah. Uh, so so which community, was it one of those other communities that was the first broadcasting job? Well, you know what's weird is that, uh, and my dad told me this. He predicted this in grade 12. I had too many, I had too many spares. Okay. Right? He said, you, you know, never have to. He says, I, I might even turn into Halsey again when I start, you know, saying, 
saying that my dad gave me a good lecture. And, and he said that that may come back to haunt you because my English mark dropped. And that was my gateway to getting into Nate, into the radio and television arts program. Yeah. And I went back to school during the summer, tried to get it up to a higher level, but the problem was everybody wanted to get into that field. So I had tried for about three years, could not get in, and then uh, somebody said, well, why don't you do do some work for one of the cable TV companies? And back then, it was a, a, a cable company called QCTV. All right, okay. okay? Uh, and so I went and did some volunteer work there, and I also went over to the campus radio station, CJSR. And I will tell you this, the funny thing about this. I went in and did a volunteer year, and I worked on the hockey broadcasts uh, with uh, the play-by-play -play guy there. I'm trying to remember his name. Oh, Morley Scott. Morley was doing play-by-play -play for the Goldenberry Games, and I just did the hosting and that kind of stuff. Morley went on to, uh, he took a different job doing junior A hockey, and I moved into doing that that position yeah. for a year. And what you can learn on a bus coming back from Saskatoon uh, from Claire Drake, yeah. who taught me so many great little hockey things I had never known. I, I, I just can't say enough a, a, about uh, the coach. I could never call him Claire. I never could yeah. call him Claire. But uh, I, I had done the play-by-play, -play and then they had gotten into the playoffs, and we had this one crazy, crazy game against the University of Manitoba the Bisons, and the overtime, it went to a third and deciding game, and the overtime game was a sudden death. So a guy named Von Carpen had scored for Manitoba, and they had taken the lead, and the Golden Bears came back and scored two goals in the last minute and a half to win and move on to the Nationals. And I was doing the game on the campus station back here, and two guys were listening to the broadcast. One guy was named Rod Phillips, and the other guy was named Ken Brown, former Orly goaltender I'd watched as a kid at the gardens and brownie was kind enough to send me a letter encouraging me to continue to move ahead with my play-by-play -play career and then i moved to moose jaw to do the warrior broadcast in the western hockey league for yeah. four and a half years so it just and then you just find your way up the food chain you know that that's so valuable though Bryn. I, i'm glad you shared that story because i have i have found that as i've moved through my career in life and now into middle age that if, if you have the opportunity to say something positive to someone earlier in their life or career, just say it. Oh, yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't mean you can't be critical or push them to improve, but I find that, you know, I, I hope I'm like that to my younger colleagues here. You know, if they say, hey, I heard this, or, or I'll always say, say, well, you know what, I think you need to work on that, but I'll always try to say that was really good. You, Did you, you hear that? Oh, that was good. And I got to say, there was one other, and this is almost embarrassing because I still remember it at the Coliseum. I used to, I grew up watching Stampede Wrestling with Ed Whalen. Now, there's going to be some of the audience that's going to have no clue what I'm even talking about. Well, I think about. most of the audience will have okay, a clue. Okay, well, look it up. If you don't know, and this is what I say at home to like the, the young guys at home, Google it. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, Ed Whalen was doing the play-by-play -play for the Calgary uh, Flames at the time. And for some reason, I had done this impression of Ed Whalen downstairs in the locker room and John Garrett was there. And Cheech thought it was pretty funny. So he calls me over as they're on the ice practicing he says, Brinster, come on over and do Ed for Ed. And I went, oh, my goodness. He said, what? So I had to go over and do my impression of Ed Whalen. Well, that Ed sounds Whale. like a nightmare. And Ed loved it. Anyway, but the, the thing that I still laugh about it was we had a really great chat afterwards. And one of the things he, he told me was treat everybody the same. 
it doesn't matter if they're young. He says, he says, young, old, whatever. Treat everybody the same, and uh, and that way you can sleep at night and you'll feel good. And not only will you feel good, they'll feel great. And so I, I always, if if there were young uh, young broadcasters that were looking to get into Nate or Sade or Mount Royal or wherever they were looking, BCIT. Uh, and I got a call saying, listen, can can we talk about the, the industry? I, I never had any trouble giving somebody a 20-minute gap in my day just to talk yep. about it to see where their heads were at because the next great broadcaster might be out there listening to us today. Yeah, and just do it. I mean, it's, it's hard. It's hard to break in. It's hard to think. For me, it was hard to think about maybe failing or not being good enough. But when I look back, it's like, well, just do it. I also, I told you I was going to forget somebody. It just came to me. John Short is another oh, guy. amazing. John Short is another guy in the evenings who did a talk show. I think he went 9 to midnight, and that's usually. Yeah, and after Oilers games. Exactly. Yeah. And he did a little kid's hour or whatever. And I'm sure I phoned into that once or twice and tried not to be too nervous. But. But John, another great individual, another one of those legends in the market that you, you learn from. So always give people the time of day, and I'm with you. Okay. Positive, positive, positive. More with Bryn Griffiths coming up on Inside Sports. And Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 6:30. Chat. Continuing our look back at our chat with Bryn Griffiths here on Inside Sports. He joined me in studio a couple of weeks ago, and Bryn's been through a lot the last few years. Uh, huge battle with cancer, and he reflected on that. How's your health? How are you feeling? I feel like a million bucks. Good. Nobody will write me a check. <laughs> The, uh, no, I, I really do. I feel great, uh, and I and I really shouldn't, and I really shouldn't even be here, but I am, and I just count my lucky stars. I, you know, it's the old thing. I I truly believe now that I was I was spared so that I could continue to do some other work, and that is to try to inspire or give some advice or try to be a cheerleader for anybody else going through cancer. And I went through a really bad. It, it's almost it'll be three years ago coming up next week I had cancer surgery on a stage four stomach cancer situation that I was in that I had a tumor in my stomach high up in my stomach there was only one way to to try to fix it if it was even going to be possible and that was to get a total removal of my stomach and everybody says you can live without a stomach well I'm here and yes you can all they do is they attach the esophagus to the uh, the upper part of your intestines so what happens is instead of this little sac that your food sits in and starts the digestive process you're asking your intestines to do the digestive process right from the get-go. And so all it means for me is I can't eat three big meals a day. I have to eat eight little tiny ones. So uh, I, the, one of the big things for me, and, I, and they have to be high in calories too, because when you lose your stomach, you can't produce as much B12. There's all sorts of little rules and regs. But uh, I had gone from a very unhealthy 265 pounds three years ago and through the process of the nine months through the surgery I lost about uh, 120 pounds and I bottomed out at 138 pounds and I was on a tube feed and that was in October and I had the surgery done in March and I recognized that 138 pounds wow if, if I don't start eating by mouth and getting 
food into me. Uh, if this ever comes back, I'm never going to make it. So that kind of was the big challenge for me. I was pretty upbeat and positive anyway through the recovery process, but I recognized that I had to I had to get my ass in gear, uh-huh. and so I I started to force myself to eat more. And the doctors told me you'll never be you'll never weigh more than 165 pounds now. If I'd have stayed at 250, 260, I probably would have had a heart attack. So I view it this way: the cancer that I went through by having the stomach removed, and the the scan three months later said that I had, they couldn't find cancer anywhere. So my doctor, Dr. Schiller, did remarkable surgery at the Royal Alex in the hospital, and everybody was great. I had a couple of iffy days with a, a, a chest infection where they didn't think I was going to make it. And the family was informed that, well, we're not sure if he's going to make it, but he, he might, and I'm here. So that, to me, is a success story. But I just, uh, now I'm at the point where I hear from a lot of people who have had or dealing with cancer, and they say, how did you make it through there? I said, well, I had two great mentors just before I went into surgery. One was Dr. Gans Ferentz, who was a psychologist in Edmonton, and he worked with me mentally to get me prepped for the surgery, an eight-and-a-half-hour surgical procedure to remove my stomach. The other guy came to me through Darren Dreger from TSN, and Dregs and... Ray Ferraro had done a podcast about three weeks earlier with a guy named Dale Howarchuk, who'd had his stomach removed, and he was explaining his story to the two of them on their podcast, and Darren phoned me and said, you know what, after the show, we were talking about you, and uh, I, I want to know whether or not I can give your number to Dale and have him call you. I said, are you kidding Hockey Hall of Famer. I never, I, I never recognized or remembered the fact that he's, he was coaching junior hockey. So anyway, he calls me the day before the surgery, and I figure it's going to be a five, ten minute, right? And then he'll move on to whatever's next. We talked for an hour and a half, and he pumped my tires. I was flying into that surgery the next day. I was so let's let's get this thing out of me. Let's go. He also told me, he said, I don't know if we got to my situation fast enough, but I know you can do it. And so he pumped my tires. I saw the coach part in Dale Howard, Chuck, because he, he'd rev me up for my big game the next day, and that was surgery. And all, all I've done since I've come through all of this is remember Dale. I still have his text messages. I, I can't get rid of them. And a month after my surgery, he started texting me again, what's going on? What's happening? And everything was great until... Sometime in May, and then things kind of went quiet on the text front, and I went, uh-oh. And then, of course, on August 13th, I think was the date, I heard the bad news about Dale, and I cried. I was on my back deck, and I cried because he had meant so much to me to get me through it. And all I determined out of that was, I, if I can be like that to somebody else or do something that can encourage people to, to beat or, or fight cancer as hard as they possibly can with a positive attitude, I'm doing it. So that's my health story. I'm I'm kind of surging forward and decided that it's time to do what I love, and that's talking to sports people, but talking to sports people who have battled through cancer and have come out the other side and are pumped up and excited to tell their story. And I also don't want to not talk to them about their sports story. So uh, so we've created this uh, this podcast, and here's the name of the podcast, and, and it other people gasp out when they hear the name or they're shocked and horrified but i love it 
Uh, can I say who the other host is? Of course. Dave Jameson is another uh, broadcaster who's gone through a throat cancer episode, and he's come out the other side. So Dave and I on the podcast uh, will talk to another sports personality. It could be anybody, and I'll give you a couple of examples of people we've already talked to. But uh, we're calling it Cancer in the Room. I like okay, that. that's enough of like a dramatic that. pause. I like that. And the reason being is is that it's a negative term. Yeah. And everyone says, oh, that's kind of a negative term. No, it's there's three of us on a podcast talking about cancer. Cancer is very much in the room. So we're going to talk about how did you beat that? What have you done? How did you manage to get through it? So we're, we're talking about their story, and then we move into some sports stuff. Our very first... Uh, person that we talked to, Buck Martinez, uh, Blue Jays broadcaster. Buck was fantastic, of course. Uh, he talked about how uh, how he battled through it, how much the fan support meant to him. Uh, these are going to get released in short order here, probably by the end of this month, I, I, I think. I'll tell you when, I'll, I'll send you a notification on when it's going to come out. It'll be on Spotify and all the Ear Candy sites, Apple. Uh, we also talked to Jamie Campbell. Also, Jamie will be a little later on in the series. Barry Stafford, the most decorated of all Edmonton Oilers. Wayne Gretzky told me that once. He says, you know, Staffy's the most decorated. I go, what? He says he's won everything. As a player, he won at the CIAU level uh, with Claire Drake. He's won Canada Cups. He's won Stanley Cups. He's won World Cups. He's He's been on Olympic teams. Wayne listed everything off, and I went, wow, you're absolutely correct. Absolutely right. So Staffy is on there. There's uh, Craig McTavish we're taping with tomorrow, Mac. He had gone through a battle with blood cancer. We're Mm -hmm. talking with him. Steve Carlson, one of the Hanson brothers in mm-hmm. Slapshot, played for the Oilers for a brief time way back in the WHA. Uh, he's, he's battled, he battled through throat cancer as well. Anyway, the, the list of people, it's amazing. And it, it tells you how much cancer touches people's lives. When you start doing a list of sports personalities or hockey guys alone who battled through cancers, it just tells you how prevalent cancer is out there. The real secret and the key is finding it as fast as you can guys are notorious for just thinking they can you know basically power their way through it prostate cancer is a big one with nhl guys i didn't realize it until i did a bit of a a research thing on it and i just think guys don't want to get checked Uh get checked when you're over 50 you better get checked if you get to it fast i I didn't think i was going to get to this stomach cancer thing fast but I was able to do it. The other thing about the hockey community, guys came out of the woodwork. I was hearing from guys that I knew from other teams, uh, guys in the Western League, from referees, from general managers. I was shocked at how guys came over the boards for me when they heard I was fighting it. But anyway, the goal of the podcast, Cancer in the Room, is to try to send a positive message out there that you can you can fight through this. And then we're going to find out more about your career. So that's kind of that's where we're going with it. That is Bryn Griffiths. We wish him and Dave Jamison all the best with their brand new podcast. Okay, back after the 7 o'clock news with one of the all-time great voices in our country, Chris Cuthbert.